Hey, I have a disclaimer, just so you know. All right, I have traveled this week, so you have to hug me at your own risk. All right, I've eaten Chinese food twice. I've traveled four planes. I've not worn a mask. Um, I have washed my hands, all right? I will say that. So hug me at your own risk. I got to tell you, it's amazing, though, when you do travel and you see how it's affecting so many people. There was a lot of opportunities this week, actually, for me. It was amazing. Um, the, The flights were half full. That's, that's one thing that I was amazed at because people are canceling. I flew with Southwest, and so it was great because I had room. I mean, I, I wasn't that guy squeezed in. You know how it is on an airplane, and I'm that guy that nobody wants to sit next to because I am, you know, I take up a seat and a half, and uh, so it's a little bit crowded. But no, they were half full, and I can't tell you how many people are wearing masks, and uh, again, the fear. But through that, we get opportunities, and don't miss those opportunities. As believers, we get an opportunity to talk to people about their fears and about their feelings and what's going on. And so don't miss out on that, you know, and and how we can stay calm through situations. And and we see it. We see it in our media. We see it in, in how people react to things. And really what it shows is where their faith is, which is actually a good tie in for my message this morning. Fear, I mean, not fear, faith, too many F's this morning, faith and feelings right? God gave us feelings. We talked about some of those feelings this morning. Dave, you talked about revenge, forgiveness, or unforgiveness, and those are feelings. Joe, you mentioned in your your prayer thing about fearing God and anxiety, right? God gave us those feelings, but we have to be careful that we don't let those over our faith or become so important that it overrides our faith. And that's what we're going to look at. And I'm going to look at another feeling, if you want to call it, this morning, and that is discouragement slash depression. And again, the two go closely together in, in its varying degrees, but we're going to take a look at that this morning, and we're going to see where one of God's servants allows his feelings to override his faith. And I'm not questioning his faith, because that, that's not the, the part that we can do, and I certainly wouldn't question anyone's faith, whether they have a mask on or they're locking themselves away. That's not a question of their faith. But what's driving them? And maybe their feelings have overtaken them. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So we're going to take a jump back into the Old Testament. And I don't do it often. A lot of times we preach out of the New Testament. But this morning we're going to jump back to the Old Testament. In fact, we're going to go all the way back to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19. But I can't just jump in at 19. Although there's a lot right there and we could start there. But if, again, without any context, it'll kind of leave this message only half there. So what happens before chapter 19, I don't know how many of you know Elijah. He's one of my, my prophets, and Dave's going, yes, yeah, Elijah is pretty cool. And yet he doesn't have a book named after him. But he's one of the prophets that God uses, as God uses prophets often, to warn Israel of impending doom. If they don't change, there's going to be consequences. They're going to discipline. God is faithful In fact, he's so faithful that he will discipline those that he loves. And so he remains. And so God at this time is using Elijah. And chapter 19 kind of breaks into the middle of the story. But Elijah has just come off a spiritual high. Probably about as high as you can be. All right, if you don't know the story of Elijah, I'm going to help you out this morning a little bit. If you haven't read it in a while, I encourage you to go back and read through it. But chapter 18 is the, the Mount Carmel experience. I'll call it for that, right? Elijah challenges 
the God of the day, which happened to be Baal, because guess what? Israel had turned away from the God of Israel. And they're following Baal. There's a king, King Ahab at the time, marries this wonderful, no, I can't even say that in just, this lady, Jezebel. You may have recognized the word Jezebel, right? That's not a good thing. If you're called a Jezebel, it's not a, not a flattery. It's, don't take that. There's no way to spin that in a good way. I once did a, a message on, and this is why I don't do messages on Mother's Day, but I did a, a message on Mother's Day, and I picked the four worst mothers in the Bible. And you know what? She was one of them. She wasn't the top one. But the mothers left really encouraged that Sunday, but it was kind of a weird message. They remembered that for months afterwards, but... Uh, there's a lot of bad mothers in the Bible. Guess what? Jezebel is one of them. Even so much that she sacrifices or convinces her husband to sacrifice their firstborn son. She's awful. She's wicked. She's not Jewish at all. There's nothing much said nice about her in the Bible. And the king is no better. All right? Let me just say that. This king is weak at best. He allows his wife to overrule him, allows him to lead him astray. He makes a choice. And he does many bad things as well. So you have a whole nation that's turning away from God, following after Baal, and this is wrong. A lone prophet, or at least he thinks he's a lone prophet, saying, hey, wait a minute, this is wrong. And so he does a challenge on Mount Carmel. It's one of the greatest scenes. You know, you that like westerns, right? You know, the high noon, you know, the, you know some of you older are looking, right? And, and there's that, you know, who's going to draw first? That's definitely where we have here. Elijah is setting up. Again, only thing is the odds are 450 to 1. So it's even, even worse. And Elijah says, hey, you can go ahead and first. They make this altar. Again, I, I'm summarizing here. If you haven't read it, you need to go back and read chapter 18 this week. But he sets up this altar, and he gives them an opportunity to burn up the altar, gives them the chance to go first, and to prove which God is real. And if you know the story... They fail miserably. And Elijah calls upon his God, the God of, that we serve, and God shows up in a mighty and powerful way, burns up the offering, burns up the rocks, burns up everything, and Elijah has some of his troops kill the 450 false prophets. Right? Huge victory. It's a great day, right? Things, things should be perfect. There's a miracle. It just takes place in front of their very eyes. And if that wasn't enough... The backstory to this, there's been a huge drought, right? Elijah goes and prays, prays repeatedly. It's another message on prayer sometime along the way. But he prays, and God answers that prayer, and there's rain upon the land. So you have two miracles right back to back, right? Life should be great, right? Life should be good. Everything should be perfectly fine, right? That should turn the nation around. Right? They've just seen God in a mighty, powerful way. Well, here's the point, or one of the points, one of the many points this morning. Miracles do not often or very seldom lead to lasting faith. People can have miracles in their lives, but again, it doesn't, long-term, doesn't show up. And in the nation of Israel, if you know the story, they don't turn back. In fact, they intensify. In fact, Jezebel, the lady that we mentioned, the queen, puts out a bounty on Elijah's head. He says, hey, before the sun sets, or I'm going to have you killed. And so Elijah's witnessed these things, and now he's back under attack. There's a bounty on his head. He's being sought after. 
to be killed. And that's kind of where we pick up the story. 19 verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of those, one of them. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. All right? Like I said, there's a bounty on his head now. He gets discouraged. You know, he's just seen two great miracles, but he's afraid. He's afraid. He's afraid of his, for his own life. He's discouraged. And so now he's going to respond to that. And look how he responds. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Then my ancestors, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the tree and fell asleep. I told you, he's, he's allowing his feelings to mount. And look at the progression here. He's afraid. Then he runs out towards the desert. He leaves his friend. Right? So he's going alone. Does it say anywhere that he takes any provisions with him? No. Right? So he's setting himself up to go out and, and, and separate himself, to be all alone. All right? I'm not going to ask you to raise hands or answer, but how many times do we do the same thing? Right? We get afraid or we get worried, we get anxious, and we isolate ourselves. We pull ourselves away. Away from our friends, away from our church family, maybe even our own family, and we just kind of get off by ourselves. And then we sit in a place all alone without that support, without that encouragement. Then he starts also, by setting himself up, he starts to affect his physical needs, right? No food, no water, right? That's another sign of people that are becoming discouraged or depressed, right? And it can go either way. Sometimes people can eat too much or they can eat too little. Sleep also can be affected by that. These are kind of some signs to look at. And I want to kind of frame this a little bit here. As we see what happens to folks, don't think of it as yourself, because usually in and of ourselves, we can't do it. Even if we know that we're getting depressed or we're getting discouraged, we usually can't do it on our own. But I would say it as, think of those around you that you may see as brothers and sisters in Christ, just here in our own church body. I guarantee there's someone that may be starting to get discouraged. They may be starting to get depressed. They're starting to withdraw. They're starting to pull back. And so maybe you in the spot that you're at in life, you often seek after them. Like I said, if you're in it yourself sometimes, and if it's a, a cycle that you do often, if you could stop it on your own, you would have already done it. So you may need some help. And again, that's part of the body is, is looking out for one another. If statistics are right at all, there should be about five or seven of us on any given week that is going through that. Again, maybe not to the depth here that Elijah goes, but in some shape, form, or manner, we're discouraged. We're depressed. Having a bad day. Having a bad couple of days. And it can get worse, and it can get to this point. And again, it's gotten so bad with Elijah. He's here at the point saying, 
you know what? I'm done. Lord, just let me die. End game. I can't take it anymore. I'm no better. Right? He's discouraged because he's been preaching and hoping that his nation will turn back around. And guess what? Nobody's responding. Who's responsible for the response? Huh? Me? Well, no. Not in Elijah's case. Who's responsible for the response? People. Right. It's not on Elijah. He, his job was to give the message. That's what you meant. All right. I'm sorry, Brent. My bad. But really, it is. It's a response to the people. He was responsible to give the message. Whether they responded correctly or not was on them. And ultimately, it's up to God. So anyways, we find Elijah. He's depressed. He's discouraged. He's laid down. And look what God does here. He does something very special, especially for Elijah here. He says, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Elijah looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he laid down again. You laugh. I have an older Bible, and I've preached this passage before, and I actually have a note in there. It says, bad joke. Anyone want to guess what kind of cake that was? What, unleavened bread? Nah, I don't think so. Huh? There we go. There's my bad joke. I knew there'd be somebody that would get it. Angel food cake. Come on. It's, it's a setup. I told you it was a bad joke. Yeah. Good thing PJ's not out here. She'd be cringing because she's, she's the first one that told me it was a bad joke. All right. But God has given him food and water to encourage him. Someone's coming alongside. Think about in our situation. If we know someone that maybe has withdrawn, maybe they're, they're not going out as much, what would it mean to them just to come over and bring something to them? I know we've kind of lost that in our culture today, but you know, showing up with brownies or cake or fellowship, right? spending some time, making sure they're eating right. right. What a great gift that is. It's an encouragement. Just something to think about. Again, you may be that, that angel that God wants to use in that situation. But God does this to him, and then he does it a second time. Again, Elijah's laid back down again. He's, he's, I'm sure he's thankful, but again, he's still in the same spot. He hasn't left. He's still under the broom tree. He's, I don't think his attitude's changed. I think from Scripture, he's still in the same spot. The food and the water didn't do it. So... Verse 7, God sends another angel and it comes back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Hobram, the mountain of God, where he went into a cave and spent the night. Now I will give Elijah some credit here. When God does this a second time, he is obedient. And again, this is where faith overrides his feelings, at least at this moment. Again, and it wasn't easy. 40 days, 40 nights, travel. They've estimated how many miles. It's 20-some-odd miles that he had to go. Again, not easy terrain. But Elijah's encouraged at least enough, or at least obedient enough. Maybe he's just going through the motions to go, now the feelings. He says, all right, I'm going to do what God told me to do. Same guy who just wanted to die a few minutes ago, now has finally said, all right, I get it. I at least got to be obedient in that regards. And here's why I don't think Elijah has changed much, because look at the next couple of sentences here. It says, And the word of the Lord came to him, 
God asks him the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? Look at his response. I've been very zealous for the Lord, God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Interesting his reply, and we we can read a lot into his reply, but it does say a little bit about where he's at spiritually, right? Hey, God, I've done all these great things. I've seen these great miracles. I've been zealous. I've done exactly what you said. But he's kind of saying, on the flip side, nothing's changed though. I've put in the work and I'm not getting the results that I wanted. That's really what he's saying here. Again, put that back into our own perspective. How many times does that happen, right? We do what we think God wants us to do and we're, we're following his path and we're, we're praying, we're reading our Bible, we're encouraging, we're doing those things, but we don't often see the results. And it's easy to get discouraged. I, another little side note here is if you read through this, this little paragraph, you see how many times he mentions I, I, right? I did this, I'm doing this, right? Again, he's not discrediting God, but he's, he's focused on who? Himself. Again, another danger sign. So we can get in trouble when we start looking at only of ourselves. And again, he's also talking about the past. Right? Now, this is a man who has seen miracles all along the way. Those, those last two miracles that I mentioned, actually three now because he's been fed by an angel, he had seen other miracles as well. He'd seen a young boy raised from the dead. He'd seen oil that would not stop running for the widow. He's seen many things. He was fed by ravens. He's seen the drought. He's seen the rain. He's seen all these things. Yet he's questioning, really, God, are you still going to be faithful? Or I'm done. I I just don't want to do it anymore. But God is not done with Elijah yet. And very seldom is he ever done with us. And so verse 11 God says to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his head and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. There's been a lot of interpretation on this, but how how easy is it for us to look or want God to do something big, right? Nothing wrong with that. We want to see God do a miracle, right? We want to see something big and extraordinary. And and if we see it, we think, oh, God must be over here doing that, right? And certainly God can be over there doing something that miracle, or doing something big. Maybe in that area of the country or in our world. Sometimes we see great movements and we say, oh, God must be in that and doing that. Do you know what the great lesson is? God can be doing that great thing over here. He can be doing it over there. And he can be doing it just with us as an individual. That's what I love about this passage, right? That gentle whisper, nobody else heard it, nobody else saw it, but Elijah, Right? God is a God who can do great things, not only in the big, but also for us as individuals. And that's why I love that passage. And I love that, how he just speaks to him in a gentle whisper. It's just a reminder. Hey, Elijah, I got you. 
Again, we don't know exactly what he said, but nothing else. He said, hey, God, Elijah, I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm not done with you yet. I still got you. So Elijah gets the lesson again. I say this is a, a, a redo. He gets a second chance here. So God asks him the same question again. Interesting. You know, we talk about that. Sometimes if we don't get the lesson right the first time, we'll, we'll get it again. And sometimes God does allow us to do that. And he does it here with Elijah. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Look at Elijah's reply. It's going to sound familiar. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Sound familiar? Right? After all this, Elijah's still not there yet. He needs help. He's in a pit that he needs supernatural help. He needs help to get out of it. And I hearken back, this passage is a great reminder for us. Sometimes we need to go alongside that brother or sister in Christ and we need to give them help. They can't do it on their own. And even though there's been some great things in their lives, they've seen God work, God's been faithful, they need a little bit of help to get out of that pit. Again, God does that here for Elijah very powerfully and in a mighty way. Despite all the miracles, despite how faithful God's been, Elijah's still stuck. He's still stuck that I'm the only one. I'm all by myself. I'm the only one doing all this. And I'm not getting the results that I want. So look what God's, I call it his remedy or his cure here for Elijah. The Lord goes back to him and says, Go back the way you came and go into the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Abram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Saphat, from Abel, Melech, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose keeps, all whose knees, sorry, all whose knees who have not bowed down to Baal, and all those mouths who have not kissed him. God gives Elijah a workload. He gives him something to do. Sometimes when we're in that pit, we just need to start being obedient and just start putting one foot in front of the other and get back to doing those good things, doing those things that are by feelings, doing those things that will help us grow in our faith. Not driven by feelings, but driven by faith. Again, he has to go back and anoint two kings. Right? One of the things I failed to mention, and if you know the story, there's two kingdoms at this point. Israel's divided, been divided, the north and the south. And again, he's going to go and anoint the kings. And again, that, it's symbolic in many ways, but the anointing is, hey, this is the king that's up and coming. Also, it would be a signal to the king that's already sitting that, hey, your time is coming to an end soon. In fact, if you read on, chapter 20, King Ahad's going to go by the wayside in a pretty drastic man- manner. And God takes care of Jezebel as well. But it's yet to come. But that's a signal. But it's giving him something to do, right? There's hope then, right? There's a new king. Things may change. There'll be another opportunity. Right? 
As many of you know, and I'm sure you've watched as well, right? We have an election coming up. I, I, know, I know some of you may be surprised, but there's an election coming up, and there's, there's voting, right? But how much hope gets put into the next election, right? Or discouragement, depending on how you look at it. But there is that, that change of God. There's that possibility that things may change. Well, same thing here. There's a possibility. It's going to at least be an opportunity for change. The anointing of two kings. And then don't miss this next part. This anointing of Elisha. If Elijah is number one in my book, Elisha is like number two. He's pretty close. But God's given him his replacement. God's given him someone to invest in. And I know some of you have heard me say this, but again, it bears repeating. In our lives, I think we need at least three people. Right? A Paul, someone who's ahead of us, someone that we look up to, someone that we can... Can, that follow after and that can help us with those things that, that we don't have experience or wisdom, someone that's ahead of us. And then we also need that encourager. Again, that's where a lot of us can, can encourage one another, that Barnabas. And then we need that Timothy, that next generation, that next person that we're bringing along, someone that's younger, someone that just needs to, to fan that flame a little bit, bring them along, right, to help raise up. And that's what Elisha is for Elijah. Again, if you want to read on a little bit this week, you'll see that Elisha becomes even greater than Elijah. He does more miracles, has more of an impact on the ministry. Response, similar, sadly. The nation of Israel doesn't respond much better. But at this point, at least, Elijah has got a mission. He's got some teen. Interestingly here also in in verse 18, we see that he's also said, hey, you're not alone. Remember I said all those I statements? I'm all alone. I've done all this. God says, oh, wait a minute. You're not alone. You're not by yourself. In fact, I got 7,000, right? You know, here on an average Sunday morning, we have between 70 and 80 people. I can't imagine if there were 7,000 sitting in here. In fact, they wouldn't be sitting in here. We'd be busting out, we'd probably be out in the parking lot. But what, a, what an amazing ministry opportunity he has, right? You're not alone. You're not by yourself. You're not the only one. In fact, you've had nothing to do with these 7,000, but guess what? I'm going to put you in charge of the 7,000 now. So God's given Elijah a lot to do. He's come alongside, he's encouraged him, he's given him someone to invest in, and now he's given him a, a whole ministry to work with. This is the same guy that was out in the desert that wanted to be done. God says, no, I'm not quite done with you yet. And it took an extraordinary way to bring him back to this point. Again, if you read on the story, Elijah goes on and passes the mantle on very well to Elisha. And he sees a lot of those things happen. So there's a lot to take away from this morning. And I hope that, you know, as you've been listening, maybe you can identify. Maybe there's been some times in your own life that you've, you've been that person that you know what, I'm done, or I don't want to be around anybody. I just want to sit here by myself. I'm tired of doing the right thing and not seeing the results that I want. You're the one that's been discouraged. And God's brought that person, that angel into your life, to come alongside you. Or maybe you've been that person. And maybe there's someone here today that needs you to give them that little bit of help. 
So I would ask that you be praying about that, looking for those opportunities to come alongside your brothers and sisters in Christ. Encourage them. Don't let them get to that point that, you know what, they've given up, they're done, and they don't want to go on any further. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, as it's, Lord, how you, it's always a good reminder, Lord, of what's going on around us, Lord, in our world, and Lord, how you want to use us to be that encouragement, Lord, that you want to strengthen our faith, Lord, help us not to get overrun with our feelings, the feeling of discouragement, depression, and get out of the race. Lord, I also ask that you would be with us, that we would help each other in that walk. That we not allow our circumstances or what we see in our limited view encourage us, take us out of the game. Lord, continue your work in our lives, continue to help us, continue to encourage us and strengthen us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.